Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of A Little Bit Famous with Ted Murata. I'm very happy. I'm very excited for you to hear this episode. My guest this week, as you'll hear, is Lugo. He is a brilliant guy. He's an enormously talented, twice Grammy-nominated, multi-instrumentalist, composer, music producer, mix engineer. He's uh, he's incredible, and he has so much passion about music, um, and it comes through very clearly during our conversation. He's just an absolute fountain of knowledge about music and music-making um, and it's just wonderful to hear him describe the process and his love for it. So I hope you enjoy. Here it is, episode 30 with my guest, Lugo. My guest today is Lugo. He's a Grammy-nominated composer and music producer living in L.A. And uh, it's good to see you, Lugo. It's been a while since doing, we had man? a chance to talk. Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's it's really great to have you on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, we were talking in pre-roll about how cold it is here now, and, and which it is. Um, and uh, <laughs> you were saying right now in L.A., it's very sunny and lovely there. It is. Let me check and, Hey, Google, what's the weather? It's currently 65 degrees. 65 degrees. 65 in the middle of January. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, when I got here uh, back from uh, Panama from um, vacations, it was like in the 40s, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, low 40s and stuff like that. But uh, the past week and a half, it's been like perfect. It could be like that for the rest of the year if you wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've talked about this on the show before, but I, as I get older, the, it's just the more and more that I want to live somewhere like Southern California. Um, and man, it's just everybody leaving, south. So everybody's leaving, so you should come. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have to ask, why, why are people leaving? Well, the housing crisis here. Oh, is yeah, yeah, right. Of course. Better. You know, and yeah. like the taxation here is like, come on. I mean, I believe in taxation, you know, and, yeah. and uh, somebody's got to pay for the roads. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And Me too. Some some things, right? The police and firefighters and the whole thing. But dude, I mean, like the amount of taxes that, that we pay in, in this in this um, state is, is fucking believable. You know, yeah. and then everything goes to the federal government and then from there goes to everywhere else you know yeah. the, the states that don't pay for their roads the state that don't pay for the education right and they're uh, the ones that always complain so much about taxes exactly <laughs> and on top of it they complain about taxes you're like oh my god go figure we are the ones paying for your shit and now yeah. they're complaining about us you know so anyway the weather is great the opportunities the level of um, music that that we cook here in in yeah. la it's amazing it's always something new coming up you know it's a nice place to uh to uh to evolve musically, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. It's tough when it comes to taxation and, and, and the housing crisis and all that stuff. It's just like you're paying a million dollars for a house of like 1925 and shit. It still yeah. looks like 1925. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And and it's funny, you're, you, you've just given me a little dose of reality because I live in this, I live in this world where 
for my whole life, I've been fixated on L.A. and right. um, and it's always been a dream of mine to live there. But, right. you know, now, now that you mentioned I, I hadn't in my fantasy, I wasn't including the cost of living and taxes and things like that. So, that yeah, the, the food is expensive, but, you know, the opportunities that you can get, you know, as a musician, a composer, whatever, you know, I mean, happens here. Everything yeah. is here. And you make sure that you have a good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You make sure you have a good lawyer that can cut you good deals, you know, or yeah. a good manager or whatever, you know. Good right, broker. right. So I, I want to talk about, um, obviously, I want to talk about your career as a music producer and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about your early life. Um, mm -hmm. so you were born in Panama. That's right. And 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 grew up in Panama until a certain age. Um, mm -hmm. What was what was life like down there when you were, you know, when you were a kid? Were you did you did you feel the, the musical bug at a very young age? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I started when I was four. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And my parents got me into uh, guitar lessons. Um, then my brother started taking piano, I mean, keyboard lessons, you know. Mm -hmm. And I used to hang in the back, you know, to learn whatever yeah. the teacher was teaching him. And then once the, um, the class will be done, I will be practicing that. So, like, so I grew up with guitar. But I then quickly switched to keyboards and synthesizers. There's a whole era of synthesizers came in the late 70s, well, way before that. But it got pretty big in the 80s, you know, with the drum machines and all these things. So that's when I, I, I was like, okay, that's a niche. there's a niche right there for me. Because everybody wanted to play guitar. Everybody wanted to be in rock bands, you know, playing guitar yeah. and bass and drums, you know. And there was really no keyboard players. And, and also for keyboard players, for us, it was extremely expensive, the equipment back then. It's not like now. Yeah. Well, so you're paying thousands of dollars for a keyboard that it was monophonic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah, you right. can play only just one, you know, one note, like a mini move or something. Yeah. So I really got into it, and uh, and that's how I started playing with uh, bands, uh, rock bands, GB bands, you know, general business bands, like weddings and stuff like that on the weekends. And I was a teenager. I was, mm. you know, I started in the studio when I was about thirteen. The first time I I, I was into a, a professional studio with, you know, a Sony uh, or I think it was an Atari board back then with a reel to reel, you know, two inch machine and the whole thing. Yeah. And that's when I saw my entire future. I was like, oh, my God, shit, this is like this is the deal. You know what I mean, like all the shit that you can do here, it's just amazing. And ever since, you know, I always wanted to be a producer, a record producer. And, and that's what I that's what I do. I mean, I have bands. I was signed to Sony as an artist, you know, and, and did the whole thing and the touring and everything. And I'm not going to lie, it's fun as fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. You have a lot of fun, doing, you know, touring and, and all that stuff and being a rock star for a period of your life. But I was mostly doing that so I could get to produce my own music. You know, so at the end, I was because ultimately that's what I wanted to produce music. And then I would produce the music. I was like, oh, shit, I got to go to now. I have three gigs on the weekend, for example, you know, in, in yeah. Florida, in Tampa, uh, Florida. And uh, I mean, Tampa, Miami and Orlando. And uh, and I didn't want to go. I, I went to stay in studio working and making new new beats and new new music and recording, you know. So one day I just bailed out from that and i just like you know i'm just gonna do production and that's that's what i've done you know what i mean i mean i still play once in a while and with artists if they invite me you know to play bass you know which i love or, or keys or whatever i will still do it you know because it's fun but it's not a 
it's not my day job, you know, like my day job is, is music production, you know, and came all the way from Panama and producing talent in Panama and stuff like that until I went to college, you know. I have a few, a few questions. One is um, what, before we move on from that time period when you were living in Panama, what, what's it like, to, what's it like living in Panama? I've never been there. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the, what's the scene like there? What was it like growing up there? Well, Panama is a very different country. I may say comparing to other Latin countries, mm-hmm. um, Panama, it's a very, like people tend to be very, very happy. Like it's, it's a very yeah. happy place, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, there's been a lot of, um, you know, studies about these things, about like the, the, the happiness of every country, the level of happiness. Yeah. Is, yeah. Pa- Panama, I think for three or four years consecutively uh, came out number one, you know, in the world, like back in 2017, 16, and stuff like that. And, and so the Panamanian is very friendly, very welcoming. You know, it's always been because Panama was always a transit uh country ever since the spaniards back in the 1400s you know so so we're used sure, and with to the that. canal i mean once exactly. the canal was built yeah so because of that i guess it's, it's been a culture that has developed you know uh to be very welcoming that we appreciate uh uh tourists you know we appreciate people that want to bring money to the country and, and, and do businesses it's a very business friendly country you know it's very democratic you know what I mean? Um, we 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 did go through a period in the eighties and seventies of dictatorship with uh, Noriega back yeah, in the day. I was going to ask about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noriega before that Torrijos and then Noriega, and ended up in eighty nine. And since then, the country became democratic after. And, and ever since, you know, it's always been democratic. It's like there's no doubt about it. And you know, good or bad presidents that we've had in that period of time. Uh, we've been for over close to 30 years, just growing and growing 8%, 5%, 12%, you know, so it's, 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 a, it's a country that has developed a lot. And with that, also the music industry as well. So, yeah. so, you know, there's a lot of artists, you know, that came out out of the Panama that are thriving right now. You know, there's been Ruben Blades, you know, he got the Grammy for a life, sorry, achievement this year. I mean, last year, the Latin Grammy. Uh, and also, also an actor. And he's an amazing actor. He's been around movies. Yeah. A bunch of movies, exactly. So, you know, uh, Erika Ender, a dear friend of mine, she's the writer from Despacito. You know what I mean? She's Panamanian as well. You know, we went to high school together, you know, and we became actually friends about seven, eight years ago. And we've done a lot of things together. She's from Panama as well. And she's a big uh, rep of um, Panamanian culture and, 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 um, and the people of Panama and the Panama uh, artistic, you know, community and stuff. So there's a lot, you know, Danilo Perez, um, one of the, the biggest, you know, uh, uh, jazz composers, piano players in the world as well. He's the one that uh, helped me, you know, and convinced me to go to Berklee College of Music, you know, in Boston, because he's a, grad, a graduate from there as well. He actually put a call <laughs> to administration. Say, hey, oh, man, nice. guys, I've been trying to apply for a while. You guys don't respond. So. So that's how, you know, uh, things started there and so on. There's a lot of artists from Panama, you know, so now in the urban, you know, side, you know, Sech and, and you know, it's a few more that are, that are doing really, really good. And one thing that they all have in common is that Panamanian, uh, I don't want to say patriotism because we are not like that. We're not like, 
and all these yeah. things. Like, we're, we're so not like that. Like we're very patriotic, but in a different way, in a very healthy way. We don't we don't rub you know the country on your face and you know this and that. So, but when somebody thrives, like whether it's the soccer team or the musician or an actor or whatever, it's we appreciate that and we support that and we um we we you know we make a lot of news about it. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and we feel all of us we feel very proud as if you know we were the ones getting that Grammy or whatever. For example, when Ruben Blades got it. Uh, the the he got two Grammys that day, Best Album of the Year, and he got the the Life Achievement. Right when he got that, I feel like it's, it's like I got it. You know what I mean? Because I've been nominated twice for Grammys, and I know how difficult it is to um, to even get close to one. You know what yeah. I mean? Even though yeah. I have a lot of friends that have gotten, you know, friends that went to college with me and everything, I know how the odds of getting a Grammy are very, very slim, you know, and, and at the same time, it's not like the most important thing in the music industry. And you know, this you're a musician. We, we just appreciate that because yeah. that's what we got, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. You know, well, we got that, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be nominated is is pretty extraordinary. I mean, it's great. You know, yeah, it's great. And it, it definitely, I understand that now in my 40s, you know, how, um, how can that help you, you know, um, achieve you know your goals uh, meaning you know it helps with credibility and and, and yeah. all these things so when a panamanian gets nominated or gets a grammy or, or any of these things the whole country celebrates that you know it's like the whole country feels like yes you know yeah. like it's panama you know yeah, I mean? but, yeah. but, but not with an ar-15 and a bible you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> not like that you know what i mean yeah yeah uh, healthy, artistic, um, patriotic way, you know, we, we appreciate that. So, so just to go back to that, the way of being, our way of being in Panama, that friendliness, that, that, um, that warmth is reflected even there, you know, in the music industry and how we, we deal with successes and failures and, and all these things, you know, it's a very supportive, you know, country. Yeah. It wasn't always like that when I was in the eighties and stuff like people only like the American bands or the Spanish bands or German bands and stuff like that. And, and I was part of that first generation of uh, Spanish rock. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to call it urban rock, you know, back in the eighties, I was part of that first generation where we, we started writing in Spanish and recording rock in Spanish. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. became a big deal. And that's what was the beginning of what, you know, the rock scene in Panama and Mexico and other, you know, countries, you know, that's, those are the beginnings of it, you know? Yeah. So I was a, a big part of that, you know, as a, as a keyboard player making bands and playing with everybody. And, uh, and back then fucking people didn't care. They didn't even like it. They wanted <laughs> to hear Bon Jovi. They wanted to hear Tesla. They wanted to hear all these bands, Skid Row and shit, you know? Right. right yeah. And, and, you know, and you had that other band, you know, with limited instruments, limited education, limited everything, you know, trying to sound loud like that. And it was a mess. And like, that's why people, you know, didn't really like it. You know what yeah. I mean? And eventually it grew in the 90s and, and that support came because bands just became better. And, and, you know, people started more getting into their craft and studying and going to the U.S., going to Mexico, going to Spain, going to other places to get that information. And, now Panama has great schools and very modern and great producers and, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you said you were the, the other question I had, which I don't even really need to ask, it's pretty obvious. If you, if uh -huh. you play guitar, keyboards and bass, you're a multi-instrumentalist. Right. Uh, yeah. So, but do you play any other instruments or do, have you, you know, tinkered with other. I, well, I, I play piano is my first instrument. Yeah. Um, guitar is the first instrument I started studying though, but I, yeah. you know, like I, I haven't really practiced much. I, I know how to play guitar. I can, you know, be there in a band as a rhythm guitar, mostly not as a lead guitar. Yeah, I can I can do it very well. Bass, I love bass. I consider that my second instrument. I've always loved bass. Uh, and I play a little bit of drums, just enough to understand. And I have recorded in sessions, you know, uh, I'm not a drummer like you, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, without that technique and everything. But uh, I understand the drums very well. And, and I'm a big fan of good drums and good drumming. And that's why I've always uh, associated myself with amazing drummers, you know, when I have to do live stuff. You know, I got some people that I go to here in LA that I've been working with for years. Uh, but there's been instances that I just call drum doctors and rent the, the kid and then I just go and play myself and I have my engineer just record me every four bars. <laughs> you know what I mean? And do <laughs> yeah. it myself, you yeah. know, because I can do it. I just don't practice. Uh, um, I don't consider myself a drummer, but I understand the art of drumming. Uh, as far as writing, yes, I write for the full orchestra, not only the horns, but the strings and stuff, because that's what I, I study. I'm an orchestrator first, you know, um, arranger. So I understand, you know, violins, violas, you know, cellis, uprights, you know, all the woodwinds, you know, horns, all that stuff. I understand it very well because I did it for so long and, and I still uh, believe it or not, use a lot of those techniques for heavy rock or um, you know, some sometimes films, you know what I mean, that I score, or um, even like I'm working on a Debbie Gibson uh, remix right now. Oh, uh, no kidding. Yes, it's funny because um, I'll tell the story about how I started. And, uh, and I was just taking a bath right now, and I was, you know what? I think in the second verse, I'm going to put a, uh, you know, a quartet. <laughs> Why the <laughs> rock rock? You know what I mean? Like, there's a part that, she, that she's, she's got this beautiful melody going on, and the whole arrangement just drops. And I filtered the kick just to keep the, the thing going, you know what I mean? The, the, the vibe going. Yeah. And I was thinking, why if I start putting, I start with cello, then the viola catches up and then the violin and whoop, and that's it. It was just four bars. Yeah. Just to like tease a little bit and give it some <clears throat> production quality, yeah. you know, to the remix. And, uh, and I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to do that. You know, so <laughs> I just keep reminding myself of it. It's like, as soon as I get to the studio, I'm going to, you know, write some strings for, for this thing. But, um, I haven't, I was, uh, I had a long career of, uh, as a remixer and became very successful in the 2000s under the name of LEX, the next project uh, together with LEX, which was my business partner back then, a, a big DJ back in that era. And um, I mean, we worked with everybody and the whole thing. And then all of a sudden I just went, went back to production and I stayed production, producing. And now that I was in Panama, I was like, man, I miss, you know, remixing. I know it's not the same. I mean, used to get paid a shit ton of money, you know what I mean, to, uh, to, to remix because we were, we had every week we had a top 10, you know, and now it's very different. So I call my friend Jason Donovan, who's been in the business of remixing and billboard for like over 20 years or more. And I was like, hey, man, like I have the, this tickling thing and this itching. I, I need to remix something. What do you have there that I can do? You know what I mean? He said, well, we just finished uh, Debbie Gibson's, um, you know, package for Europe, but uh, I can take a mix from you, a remix. And I'm like, 
let's do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I yeah, got yeah. involved in it. And I've been since then, you know, remixing for the past two days. Hopefully I can finish it today and finish the mix tomorrow. And because of that, then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back into remixing things. You know, I make a little bit of money with it, uh, but I have a lot of fun doing it. So, so yeah, I landed two more mixes after that as well, you know, and uh, so I'll be for the next week and a half, you know, remixing <laughs> stuff, which is something that I miss so much, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool. I just heard a remix of an Elton John song. Uh-huh. Um, I heard I heard it twice. I, I I think I was at the dentist or something and it was playing mm. in the background and it, it essentially had taken what had been forget the I forget what song it was, but it had been, you know, on the radio as one of his sort of late 80s ballads, you know, mm-hmm. some, you know, fairly slow. Right. piano kind of and vocal driven and, and it had been remixed, remixed essentially to become a dance tune. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, like that you'd hear in a club. Um, yeah. And so I'm so now that you bring this up, I'm very curious about it. Like when when a re- when you do a remix, how does that happen? Like, do you do you solicit artists and say, I want to do a remix? Do they come to you and say, we want a remix? And and maybe for listeners who aren't familiar with the idea, what what is your goal when you do a remix of a song, Cr- you know, creatively mm-hmm. and what will be its ultimate purpose in being different than the original version so like back in the day uh in the 2000s late 90s when i was remixing as a day job like daily like we're putting three four remixes a a week they were coming to us because because of the name that we created right uh and all the hits that we were able to uh uh, achieve you know um Mm -hmm. doing what we were doing um it was a great combination because i was our record producer, musician, orchestrator, you know, uh, arranger. My business partner was a DJ. So so I learned a lot, you know, the, uh, um, what the dance floor was about back then and, and the drugs that I, that involved as well. You know what I mean? Because it was pretty fucking crazy. Um, so I got my share of a lot of club hours, you know, uh, with him and I was able to experience that. So back then, we became very good at it. And, and yes, we had accounts with Warner, you know, uh, Maverick Records with Madonna. That's how yeah, we worked yep. with the, uh, for the hung up, uh, you know, BMG, uh, Atlantic Records, Columbia. Like we had, we were the ones to go first. We were always the first call for everything. And they were paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for remix like back in the day. It was a whole different era. Well, it was a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. Had, you know, and, and then we had a lot of independent ones as well that were that were charting, you know. Uh, so they were coming to us. Then I skipped all this era of remixing when the remix be, uh, became kind of like a betting, like they will put the vocals out, the capellas out, and then everybody will remix, and then the label will pick whoever, which was to me was a kick in the ass. Yeah, right. Where, you know, after you have, you know, uh, basically being part of the creation of this market, you know, yeah. as successful as it became, you've been one of the pillars of that market. And all of a sudden the labels decide to just like, oh no, fuck it. Uh, we're not gonna pay the big remixers anymore. We're just gonna put the vocals out and whatever we like, that's what we use and we'll pay a few grand or a thousand dollars for it. Right. You know, so that, I skipped that era. Um, I kind of saw it coming and that's the era when I was, I'm gonna go back to full production, to writing songs again, scoring films and do what I do. Mm-hmm. you know um and then i skipped that so this is now me coming back to it 
um, my friend Jason Donman, he has he doesn't work for for Debbie, but uh, he has a company under Sony Music. He has a label, and he's been he's very popular in the in the industry uh, as somebody that has um, been a, a you know one of the one of the gatekeepers in the dance industry. Let's put it that way, you know, in the U.S. and and also in Europe as well. So we're very good friends for probably like about 18, 20 years. And, and, and then I call him, hey, man, what do you have? And he said, I got Debbie and I got this and I got that. And I'm like, fuck it, send it over. Yeah. I'll do it. So in this case, I call him, you know, um, and I charge him like super low. You know, uh, I just wanted to get my feet wet, you know, again with it. And, and, and that is opening other doors to keep remixing. But it's not something that I will uh, necessarily prescribe pursue or continue because I have a lot of production work, you know, movies and TV, you know, and a bunch of stuff that I'm doing now uh, that requires the use of my skills in a greater scale than, you know, and it's more challenging and more fun than going into remix, though I love remixing. If I can remix a record or two a month, I'll be happy. I'll be a happy camper. Now, regarding the approach to it, uh, you were asking, um, I like to see a remix as a remake not a remix like because i'm a musician i understand the math of creating music for me might be a little bit easier than a dj that is not trained musically to put a a, a beat together uh, to a, vo- a vocal that is going to make sense as if that was the way the song was created so yeah. so when i produce a, a remix i make this sound like if the song was written that way you know and i change the chords i reharm the whole thing and and have fun with it and, and everything. But when you hear the song, you don't hear that it's, you don't, it doesn't sound like a remix. See what right. I mean? It sounds like it's a, it's a dance version of the song, or maybe if you don't know the song, it just makes sense that that's the original song. Yeah. You know, so that's, that was my niche. That was my, um, what put me in the map back in the day, understanding musically, you know, a music uh, to the depth that I understand it, you know, with so much, harmony studies so many harmony studies not only from conservatory but also music and and non-functional harmony and all these things that that you study um putting together a vocal with time signatures that you can change and and, and things like that in a dance beat is is very simple you know the 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 part that that makes it interesting is if it's going to communicate with the dance with the audience in the dance floor and that's why I used to go to clubs every weekend and, and try those breakers before we deliver to the label. We would see the reaction of people that's oh shit, you know what? We we needed four more bars after this part. I think we 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 brought the drop way too fast. Or let's extend the 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 breakdown, you know, like another eight bars and let have people like go into their drug, you know, journey and then all of a sudden hit him with a <laughs> with a with a huge ass kick, you know. So all those things, you know, uh, you don't have to go to a club the rest of your life to, to know that. But I did spend many years making experiments to see how I was going to approach a vocal or, you know, a remix of any big artists like Shakira, Madonna, Barbra Streisand, Ricky, you know, like how I was going to put that together to, to not only um, please the crowd and make the crowd vibe and bounce, but also pay homage to to the artist and not destroy his song, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And which happens a lot in that industry, you know, and just, yeah. and, and we achieved that. They respected us like every time they, they would in remixes, they will call the label, many of them say, I would like NEX to be one of the remixers, you know what I mean? And that's how 
we got to directly, you know, work with these artists. You know, Donna Summer, she came and recorded a song in her studio. Amazing. You know what I mean? It was the last song she recorded before she died. I got the love and that charted, I think, number six in Billboard. And um, and she wanted to be recorded because she didn't want to use the original vocals and stretch them. She wanted to do it live. And she came to the studio and I actually recorded her. And that's one of the so most great. beautiful experiences I've had in the in the industry, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something that I would never forget, you know, her energy was just out of this world. You know what I mean? It was done a summer. You know, I grew up listening to her, you know, in the seventies. Oh God, me too. We had eight tracks. Yeah. You know, we, well, we, you know, when I was a kid, we had records and then it was like, Ooh, eight tracks are the thing. So, and, and I, we definitely had Donna summer eight, eight track and a bunch of other stuff from that mm-hmm. sat, uh, the Saturday night fever soundtrack. And, Oh dude, you know, are you kidding? That was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah. You know, I just, this is way off subject, but I'm just going to say it real quick. I, I came back to appreciate the Bee Gees in a way that I, that I hadn't in a, since mm-hmm. I was a kid really. And realizing how freaking funky they are sometimes. Yeah. And uh, like on jive talking and, and even night fever, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't just like disco. There's some real, there's some real funk to it. And uh, yes. I actually did a couple drum covers of the Bee Gees song, of those tunes on my Instagram page. Cause I'd been, I'd been kind of back into listening to them for a while. Course, um, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, one more question about the remix thing. It's funny because I'm doing a, a actually a remake slash remix of Night yeah. Fever right now. For what? Night Fever? Oh my God! Yeah. Seriously, one of the artists that I work with, uh, I um, I mixed and also produced the vocals for uh, a new iteration of Night Fever. Uh, you know that record with Universal, and she went with the the president, the director of Universal Publishing, Alexandra, and said, "Hey, I want to use the song." They they gave her the license and. And they did like a reggaeton pop kind of thing. I didn't produce the, the beat. I mixed it and recorded her vocals together with uh, Casey, my business partner. And um, and they now I'm working on doing a remix for it, like a dance remix for it. And I wanted to like a global, because uh, we had two versions, one in English and one in Spanish. And uh, we wanted to do like a global Ibiza kind of like, uh, you know, a remix, something that has all the, that flair and brings all that, 70s vibe and the whole thing but you're right like um <clears throat> i did work with him with barry gibb when i when i worked with uh um barbara streisand with night of my life with that record that that was written by by barry gibb and her and that's when i i really got to study them a lot and it reminded me a lot of earth with and fire as well like some of the arrangements that they had even though they were more disco-ish and more pop yeah. um the vibe and you can totally tell how the bands were collaborating to a certain extent with musicians and, and whatnot, you know? So, so that's when I started really respecting them. It was like in the 2000s, it was, yeah. oh my God, this is, and studying his music so I could keep that remix true to the original song. You know I mean, yeah. trying to do some research and shit. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing that you were working with him um, and Barbara Streisand yeah. as well. But um, but I, I, like the, I like that you use the word remake instead of remix because yeah. I'm an engineer too. I've been doing it for a long time. And mm-hmm. if someone sends me something, let's say they've done a mix, but they're not particularly happy with it and they send it to me and, and uh, you know, want me to take a, take a whack at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, am, I'm, I'm, I am doing a remix, not a remake. You know, I'm, I'm, pu- I'm pushing faders up. I'm listening to the sounds, listening to the the original reference mix, Mm -hmm. and I'm doing things like EQing differently, 
you know, maybe bringing a level up or down here or there, maybe compression the and stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Compression and bringing the vocal up a little more or down a little more. And, and that's, you know, that's essentially what a remix is. But it, when you said a remake, it, it, it kind of really made sense to me because you mm -hmm. are reorchestrating the song in, in, in many different ways, as you described, like yeah. you might, you might change the tempo of the tune. Uh, exactly. You know, you might, maybe you'll, uh, if I there were, the what's course, that? The chords will change completely. Something that yeah. is uh, uh, in major, for example, you know, you would turn it into minor and change completely the progression and come with a motif along with that progression. Because on the dance floor, when you are three, four in the morning in Miami, in New York, you know what I mean, in a club, and you have a happy song all of a sudden it hits you, it's like a Debbie Downer kind of mm -hmm. moment. You're mm -hmm. like, ah, like you're in the middle of that sexy vibe and beat and obscure darkness and stuff. And all of a sudden they put like a major chord, la, 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 everything really <laughs> wonka stuff. And you're like, what are you doing? I actually remixed, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, Willy Wonka the, for the oh movie. God, Back really? in the day with the Oompa Loompas and stuff. And it's a really dark mix, bro. Uh, it's a really dark yeah. mix, like, yeah, back in 2006 <laughs> or something like that. And when I hear it, it does Oompa Loompas sound demonic. Diabolic. Yeah. Like, it sounds uh, yeah. freaking weird. But it was a success because it was a different way of doing things. We completely reinvented, reconceived the song. And, and, and this is a song that was unremixable by all means. Like, shit like that. How do you remix shit like that? Yeah. You know, um, and we we used that. Uh, we did a lot of sound design and a lot of things to, to get the vibe of the club. So, yes, you, with a remake at this point, you change the chords, change the, the tempo, uh, usually, uh, most of the time. And change, the, change the length of the song. Too. Yeah, talking about eight, ten minute mixes back then. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We're lucky if we get to five, six, you know. But yeah. back then it was a whole journey. Like you will have two minutes of breakdown where there were just sounds and like fucking jungle shit going on and woo -woo 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 -woo. Yeah. Yeah, like what the fuck? And then people that were high, <laughs> they were just tripping. You know what I mean? All of a sudden the build up comes and you think it's gonna drop, and all of a sudden poof, it stops again. And then it's it was magical back in the yeah. day. It was the, the definition of magic back in the day. Now it's more, you know, here's the record, here's the hook, you know the song, next song, boom. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, it's faster. I'm tr With this mix for Debbie Gibson, I'm tapping into my old self a little bit. You know, I'm trying to space it out a little bit and come out with a mix. And then I'll make a radio edit, two minutes, whatever, uh, for the, you know, attention deficit people. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> yes, uh, I do. I'll, I'll have a six, seven minute, you know, mix that people in Ibiza or other parts of the country here, you know, whatever they can play, they can have fun. And a lot of DJs are going to appreciate those mixes because they have the time to play with it. They can do things, you know what I mean? They don't have to be popping another record right away after two minutes, you know? So, so I'm going, I'm going back to my old self a little bit on, on, um, even certain sounds and the way I use things back in the what made me popular back in the day as a producer you know i'm bringing that back so it's to me it's a very very good experience to 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 go back into remixing and this time actually enjoy it as fun not yeah. as a job because back then for me it was more of a job than because it was too much we were doing too much you know and every day was like you know like i don't want to be just dance my, my whole life but uh but right now i'm using it as um you know, as, as an escape maybe of everything else that I'm doing, which I love, 
you know, but that keeps me sharp, I guess. It keeps me fresh in it. I reminisce about those days, you know, when when I couldn't wait for Friday to take that record to the to the club, you know, and listen to it with the big loudspeakers and have all the people just hands on the air, go crazy with my music. That was like amazing. So I'm trying, I'm living that experience again. If you, if you check my Instagram right now, I have uh when when the I have I feel myself you know, the build of going to the drop. And if this, and this is just the rough version of it. I, I'm going to really polish it today. Yeah. And I'm there just jumping and doing my thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is so awesome. Like, bring that time back. You yeah. Know I mean? yeah. Something that we know never going to come back, but it's, I'm in the moment. I'm in the zone, you know, and I'm doing that. I'm so appreciative that I'm, I'm, I'm doing remixes again, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, maybe, what, I mean, God, if COVID ever ends, people are going <laughs> to, people are, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, people yeah. are gonna be starving to, to to go out and 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 probably let loose in a club and do things like that. And, and I mean, in, in Florida, it, it never stopped. I mean, Florida is open twenty four seven. You know, what I mean, if you want to go get some COVID and with a coffee, you know, what I'm saying, and right, you go to a club to four in the morning, you can, and you're gonna yeah. have hundreds of thousands of people next to you, coughing and yeah. partying at the same time. You know, what I mean, it's just exactly. the lifestyle in the ways in Florida right now, they never, ever, you know, closed down or cared about. Oh, you know, I know that, you know, like, fuck that, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's still, it's still, it drives me bonkers to New Year's. It. Like I saw some videos of some of my friends in clubs that had just gotten COVID, Ugh. you know, and they were in the club with COVID yeah. fucking oh. partying their asses off, holding everybody at three, four in the morning. You're like, I guess in California we see things a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and for the most part, same here in New York. But um, <laughs> I want to ask you a couple more questions before we go. Um, I, I I wanted to touch briefly on your music education. You you mm-hmm. went to what was the first music conservatory you mentioned? I went to uh, well, I, I in Panama. I I only had classes you know, with t-shirts and stuff like that, just for a little bit, I, I was more empiric. I think how you, that's how you said, um, by ear. Mm-hmm. But when I, I, I went to Mexico, to Monterey, Mexico, to study industrial systems engineering. And while I was in the engineering school, I joined the conservatory as well. You know, okay. and that's what, when I was able to understand, you know, and study strings, piano and strings, you know, and that's when I decided, you know, I'm going to, not finish engineering, yeah. system engineering, and I'm going to go for music. And my parents eventually, after a few years, when they realized that I really wanted that, and they supported me my entire life, and they knew that that's what I wanted anyway. Um, they ended up sending me to Berkeley, you know? But um, yeah, like, conservatory came first, definitely. And, and it was um, a way for me to understand contrapoint, you know, traditional harmony and, and all these things, classic harmony. Um, and it definitely opened my mind to jazz, which is what I studied in Berkeley. You know, it's jazz, harmony, everything is around jazz or funk or fusion or anything that is a derivative of jazz. Um, and that's when I got really excited, you know what I mean, with all that harmony. And I went to Berkeley to study harmony. I wanted to know everything about harmony. That was my thing, you know what I mean? Because I, I believed harmony was... The, um, the nucleus, you know, of uh, the center 
of the whole galaxy, you know, of, of ideas, of things. And because of that, I was able to succeed um, on the dance music uh, industry, you know, in, you know, in film and so many different other areas of the music industry, you know, because my understanding of harmony is putting a melody together with a, with a with chords is extremely important. And people take that for granted. People think that it's the programming and the audio and all this shit, but at the end, you know, having the right course, the right interpolations, the right things, the right harmony behind a melody, even if you're doing triads, is essential for good songwriting, you know, and it's essential for good arranging, you know, at this point, counterpoint and having all the instruments uh, speak to each other in concert, you know what yeah. I mean? And having yeah. a conversation, you know, and you, you achieve that not only with good arranging, but with um, engineering. So that's why uh, when I'm making beats, when I'm making an arrangement, I'm already engineering it at the same time. You're at the really desk. I'm, You're at the mixing desk. Yeah, I'm the one that's going to mix it anyway at the end. Right. You know, because I'm a mixer, but it's the, uh, I'm already taking decisions, engineering decisions with the arrangement because I know, oh, even if I pull this melody, I know I'm going to end up muting that shit mm-hmm. because it's going to get in the way of this or counterpoint. So when I write now, melodies for strings horns or whatever you know the arrangement i'm thinking about the end product already i'm thinking about how i'm gonna mix that how i'm gonna put it together how important those lines are gonna be if they deserve to stay there or maybe i should keep it in my graveyard you know my pool of ideas just in case i can use it for a bridge which happens often you know i mean you don't you can recycle them or or use it for another song or whatever but which eventually i always forget that i haven't <clears throat> but you know, it's thinking with an, uh, an engineer, a record producer mentality instead of a music producer mentality. It's a life-saving process for me. Yeah. It, it, it gets me straight to the finish line faster and without really questioning myself about like, should I do this? Should I use this other one? Should be piano? Should be guitar? Like, no, fuck it. You know, this is what I'm gonna do. Like this, you know. And then I started hearing everything. Uh, as an engineer, when I when I'm hearing the arrangement, I'm already hearing the sound. I'm very sound driven, so it's if that pleases me, that's what stays. You know, what I mean, regardless of the harmony that I use or, or or whatnot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you're like you're like a a, a, a one man band, uh, and not even a band, not just band, because you're a you're a producer and an engineer. Mm-hmm. You're a composer. You play several instruments. Right. Yeah. Uh, on one level, I would think that that makes life could make life easier for you in terms of, you know, you can see something from the time you first sort of envision it to its completion. Yeah. Straight through. Yes. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, at other times, I can imagine it could be either fairly stressful or or pretty time consuming too you know is that is that mm-hmm. is it does that happen sometimes where you just have so much to, ha- yeah. to to do it does happen uh it happens and i have created you know psychological and spiritual techniques to to uh to bridge that to 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 go over that and and and, and go back to pure creativity and stuff uh, it actually happened to me with this uh, david gibson mix like when i started because i had a long time without mixing and and it's funny, like after so many records that I produce in my life and everything, I kind of got a little bit nervous at first. Like, oh, fuck, what do I do? I haven't remixed in such a long time. 
you know, those old demons start coming up and shit. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to do what I do every day when I produce anybody right now. I'm just going to do, you know, and and the moment I started putting things together, I got this, this uh, baseline uh, motif. I was like, oh shit. That reminds me back in 2005 in the club being fucked up. Yeah. I was like, as the baseline and what I did, I, I built everything around it. And, mm-hmm. and so I already have the vocals super well performed David Gibson, you know, I started focusing on how I wanted the end result, the end product to sound. And then I started putting those melody lines, kicks, snares and everything to get there. So it was very easy for me once I uh, detached from those demons and those insecurities, those uh, mental blocks or judgment that I like to call it the whole blueprint of the whole arrangement, you know, just came to my head because of the sound. Yeah. Like I want this to sound like this. So why do I need to make it sound like this? I need this baseline, I need this, this keyboard. I can reinforce this baseline with some soul waves on top of it. And I'll delay that vocal, I'll put it later, I'll chop up the vocal and do some 90s, 1995, 1998 house tricks on it or something. You know what I mean? And that, that's what completely opened my, my, my head. So I had a first try yesterday. I already have over two minutes and, and 30 seconds. I basically have the concept already. And it was the first try, which reminded me how fast I was back in the day. I'm definitely not that fast anymore, but I definitely did it in a very fast way. Like second day for me back in the day was for mixing sometimes and finishing the whole thing. And sometimes I didn't even have a second day. I had to do everything one day. Because that's how fast these businesses used to move back in the day. So um, now it's like I tap into my old self, like I was explaining at the beginning. And even that speed of not questioning myself on the ideas that I'm putting, I just tap into that again and it, it worked out. So um, I listened to it this morning before I uh, hopped in the, in the shower. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm sitting on something really good. I have a few ideas. I had that quartet that I wanted to add in the second verse. I want to now do what I do as an arranger and give some production weight and value to that mix, you know, that remix or remake or whatever. And I'm excited to get to studio because of that. So see, that, that's, the, that's the part that it's like, sometimes you gotta have, you have to mind fuck yourself so you can keep yourself having fun with what you're doing. Otherwise it turns into a day job. And then what are we doing, right? That's when you question yourself, you have writer's block and you start like, you know, questioning your career, your direction and everything. It's like, I was able to analyze, I did a meditation last night when I came back in a meditation this morning to analyze, you know, things that are going on in my life and whatnot and, you know, emotions and stuff like that. I tried to put names to it so I can understand it. Uh, but inside of that meditation, this record came to my head and I was like, Oh, this is this is fun and and I had I became so eager to or so uh, um, happy to go back to the studio today like I can't wait to get there to work on that shit again and start like, jumping all around the studio you know so like yeah. that takes a mind fuck a mind hack yeah you know and, and that's something that I'm a very spiritual person you know like I like to um meditate daily and see things for what they are, you know, and, and everything. And every time I fuck some shit up, you know, I don't, I don't beat myself about it. Then I just need to put it on mute and, 
you know what I mean? And stuff like that. So that's been helping me a lot to understand and, and mostly have fun with, um, with what I'm doing, man. Like I'm 47 years old and I already pleased a lot of people in my career. And now I'm here to do what I want to do. I have fun. And the funny thing about it is that now is when, you know, I'm getting a lot of, it's like a second wave that I'm, that I'm starting to write in my career. Like everybody wants some of that now, you know? And I think it's directly connected to that fact that I'm having fun making it. You know I mean? I'm connecting with people because I have a lot of fun doing it. Dude. Like, you know, if I don't have fun, I have to step out of the studio for a minute and really like, okay, how can I have fun with this? Okay, you understand, oh, ah, I'm not having fun because it's the challenge because of this and that. Oh, okay, so it's challenging. So I like challenges. So I have to like really mind hack to some hacking to understand my emotion, my feeling, and the reason of my energy in that moment. Once I get it, I can get out of the funk right away and start having fun with it and understand exactly what's the job that I have at hand. You know, so that's that happened with with uh, with this record. You know, amazing. And 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 just last thing, real quick. I mean, it kind of dovetails with what you're saying right now. I remember when we first met, mm-hmm. you had mentioned that there had been a time in your career when you were you were really chasing success. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and that it wasn't a very good time for you in that sense. Yeah. You know, um, and it seems like you're in a, you're in a place now where. Um, you know, you're, you're, you seem like you're pretty content with yourself and where you are. And you have these, as you mentioned, you know, doing meditation and things and these mind hacks. Do you think right. you're, do you think you're in a, a better, happier place now than, than during oh. that time when you were kind of crazily chasing the, it's funny because success? I was crazy, crazily change, chasing the success, not knowing that I was already being successful. You know, yeah. I mean, getting Grammy yeah. nominations, getting Billboard awards, black records, double platinums, and all that stuff, and I still was didn't feel successful. You know, mm-hmm. so I was chasing this non-existent rabbit. You know that um, that was taking me down a spiral that I didn't even know I was going through. So um, once certain events happened in my life that allowed me to have this rebirth, if, if I may say it that way, I started meditating. Uh, one of my artists, an artist from India, Anaida, she's a very successful and famous artist from India. She's originally from Iran. I collaborated with her on a record. I did some production and I did a mix for, for, for some of her songs. And that was 80 years ago. And we became very good friends. And she is a uh, trained, super high-level me- meditator, Buddhist. And, this and that. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not in religions and any of this. But uh, uh, she helped me a lot. She's, I, I owe her my life. Let's put it that way. Um, so I became conscious and aware through that relationship, you know, through that friendship and, uh, until today we, we speak at least once a month, you know, in the, and we give each other advices about mostly she gives me advices, you know, uh, but we talk a lot and that helped me understand that, uh, success is not something that you look for, you know, um, success is something that comes to you and, enable for success to come to you you have to open that door you gotta open those channels you have to understand your path understand the signs and understand that you don't have to even move you just gotta do what you do enjoy it and put all the love that you have meditate manifest and everything and just believe that 
uh, success is attainable and success happens. So now, yeah, it's been different. I mean, I was making thousands of dollars an hour back in the day. You know what I mean? It was a different thing. And, and now it's different. Now I have to, to be able to do that. I have to have a TV show. I have to, after that I made the music for, uh, together with my business partner uh, for the new Steve Harvey show. Uh, Josh Steve Harvey, which is super oh. successful right now. Yeah. Um, and there's a few more TV shows, you know, also that 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 we're gonna be working on prime time as well. So right now, to make that, you gotta do different things. You gotta do movies, commercials. You gotta do TV shows. You gotta do artists. The, the whole thing, whatever you know, helps you have fun and keeps your finances uh, going. But um, I find that so uh, successful. Yeah. Now I find that that that's instead of me with the arrow trying to get the arrow to the target that's when the target is coming to the arrow mm. you know what i mean i'm not chasing that carrot anymore i am the carrot so yeah. that mentality is helping me not only be a magnet of opportunities you know but this is that i really want and i really enjoy you know executing um but also is helping me not think about the stress of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wanted to remix, I make a, I made a call and literally two hours later, I have the guy in my studio giving me the remix and paying me for it. Right. And I made, like, it's a great thing that I didn't experience before, you know, yeah. before I, I was just hustling and competing. And, and ever since I stopped competing and I started focusing on what Lugo wanted to do and, and now I'm mentoring as well, you know, for academies and stuff, you know, online for like all the countries and stuff. I'm, I'm starting to give back yeah. and I find it very, uh, I'm starting to uh, find that very um, fulfilling, you know, and I feel that um, it's helping me enjoy even more, you yeah. know, what I do. And it's bringing me even more success than i expected you know it's it's it, everything start within yourself everything start with start with a thought and then we have the power if we acknowledge that we are aware we have the power not only to change our reality but the environment as well you know uh, and and you do that literally just with energy if you're doing something good if you have making music that people like you're connecting with what you're doing that piece of art is connecting with other people and art and that's triggering their emotions in a way that might trigger change in their lives you know what i mean and that's when i mean that you're changing the environment because you're changing first your reality with a mind fuck <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and then you're changing the the environment around it and people are liking the pancakes that we're cooking you know because we're having the ultimate fun with it you know, right. and we just know that it's a, it's a difference when you play a record, you know, when you send a record, I send a record to my publisher, to Pure Music, or send a record to Sony or, or, or whatever, and you know, you're like, you're completely in understanding that that record fucking rocks. And you, you don't even have to see the reaction of these guys, you know, they're going to call you like, bro, whatever the fuck you did, that's awesome. I love <laughs> it. The, you know, the artists like it and like, the whole thing. Like, it's because you know you connected, you know, when you were creating that material, when you were working on that. If yeah. you have doubts and you try to follow somebody else or try to compete, then, you know, then I don't, at least in my experience, I haven't gotten the same results, you know, like I get very excited making it, 
And I just know that whoever's going to listen to is going to get as excited, you know, and they're going to they're going to push the record. So, yeah, once again, it comes from you and then you change the environment around it, you know? Yeah, that's a great way to live. Great philosophy. But yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. I'm I'm so happy that you're that you're in this good place and and, uh, you know, working on this remix. Good luck today with the with your continued work on this Debbie Gibson remake remake yes yeah yeah thank you so much for being out for being on the show it's been great of talking course, with you man. anytime anytime it's been a pleasure man and i know uh, you know we've been talking about this for a while and i'm sorry it took a little bit you know uh but this year is different you know yeah yeah no it's, I, it's okay. i want to do these things a little bit more often and, and it helps me also um reaffirm you know my beliefs and 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 remind myself of uh why things are working you know, yeah. and to continue doing that, you know, and I think also um, people that listen to this, these experiences of mine uh, might take some of those things as advices, maybe. Yeah, for sure. And they might probably trigger some change, some positive change in their lives as well and help them create their music or at least start having fun with the process of making music, you know, not mm-hmm. only when you listen to it or mix and master it, but creating it and you know uh, it's going to make you a better musician and the quality of ideas are going to be uh way better as well you know if you focus that way i agree completely thank you again so much i'll 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 catch you around the flip side at some point and uh yeah enjoy your day out there in beautiful la (laughs) (laughs) thanks man and you you stay warm over there okay yeah i'm trying all right man (laughs) This episode was produced and edited by me, of course. Thank you so much to Lugo for being on the show. Awesome guests. A little bit famous theme music by Jay Darius. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week.